Hey, welcome to the Transforming Life Church podcast. We hope this encourages you and inspires you in your journey with Christ. So sit back, relax, and check out this week's message. Ready good this morning. Good to see you all again. If we have not met uh, yet, my name is Kyle. I'm the lead pastor here. We're so excited that everyone uh, is here uh, today. Anybody like to watch some HGTV? Right? Home and Garden Television, let me see some hands, right? Nobody calls it Home and Garden Television, though, we HGTV, right? Hey, hands, hands, where are we at? Anybody HGTV? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the, the restoration shows, the house flipping shows, they've become a big hit in our, our day and time, right? right? Come on, uh, there, there's so many now. There, there's uh, the Property Brothers, right? And they've got like three or four different uh, spinoffs of, of their, their stuff. There's Flip or Flop and... And, um, I mean, we've come a long way since Bob Vila. Who remembers some Bob Vila? Come on, he was the OG, the original, uh, the original guy before all these other fancy guys came out of here right now. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of great shows um, that have come out. Well, Extreme Home Makeover, that was a big thing for a while. We, many of us got uh, caught up in, in all that. Um, I, I was always a fan of Homes on Homes uh, because you could learn a lot because he would actually walk you through, hey, this is code and... And, and it's always surprised me how many uh, how many homes were not up to code. Like it always it just baffles. It doesn't. Maybe it should surprise me. Uh, if you've ever had a house built, you know you know it, right? You know it, you know it. Right? Uh, we're, we're big fans. Haley and I are big fans of Fixer Upper. We watch that all the time. Yes, guys, I watch Fixer Upper with my wife, and I'm okay with that because Chip allows me to be able to watch the show. Okay? Um, and so I'm a fan of that. But but all these these home restoration shows, they, they're this they're this big. Uh, big hit, you know, because uh, sometimes your home needs to be, it needs a little restoration, it needs a little TLC, right, a little loving, things break, right, things get old, things break down, they need repairs, sometimes, sometimes you need to slap a coat of paint on, right, right, sometimes, sometimes you need a little, sometimes the stucco cracks a little bit, you need to go see my man John uh, Bray over here, their company will hook you up with, uh, no more business, right, no more work, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, so sometimes the home needs to be fixed. Sometimes there's things that are broken. Uh, sometimes the home gets let go. You know, let's be honest. Things things break and it piles up, and sometimes it's it's difficult to catch up. Sometimes the AC breaks. We live in Florida, and it gets hot. It's hot right now. I'm kind of not like I'm like okay, where's the cold weather going? It's like winter. It kind of we blink and it's gone, right? And so so like it's hot right now, and, and so the AC gets overworked. Sometimes the AC there's things that happen that, that need to be fixed in the home, right? There needs to be some restoration. Sometimes a house gets let go and someone needs to come in and restore that home. But what about our relationships? Sometimes we are in need of relationship restoration. Because sometimes our relationships, and maybe some of you are in the room or you're watching online today, maybe you've got some relationships in your life that are broken. Maybe you've got some relationships that need to be Maybe you've got something going on in your marriage where it's like your, your marriage is off. Some things have been broken. Communication is broken. Trust is broken. And, and maybe there needs to be some restoration that happens. Whether it's in your marriage, your friendships, with your neighbors, with your co-workers. Maybe it's your family. Maybe, maybe it's a brother or sister that there's, there's, a, there's something that has broken in that relationship. A mom, a dad, or whatever. There's various relationships that we can talk about here. But maybe you're in the room, you're sitting here right now. And as I said that, you're like, oh, yeah, I 
man, I didn't come to church to get my toes stepped on, Pastor. But you have maybe some relationships in your life that are rocky. And they need restoration. They need to be fixed. They need to be worked on. Something needs to be built back and put back together. God has blessed us to have relationships with people in our life. And because we bear his image, if you're a follower of Christ, there's a particular way we're supposed to live and act that reflects his love, his goodness, and his grace. But maybe in your relationships, maybe maybe there's some that aren't reflecting that. <clears throat> maybe there needs to be some restoration in your relationship with you and God himself. I want to help you out with that today. We've been in this series called Relations Slips, right? Because maybe there's some times that you've had in your friendships, in your marriage, where things have slipped up. You've slipped up, you've messed up, maybe you've said something that shouldn't have been said, maybe you've done something that shouldn't have been said. Maybe there's, maybe there's some brokenness going on in your marriage relationships. Maybe something has happened in your life to where there is a broken relationship between you and God today. We serve a God of restoration. Come on, somebody. We serve a God that it, it, He reconciles us to Him. And at the core of the gospel is restoration and reconciliation. Not just between us and God, but the people around us today. Turn to Luke. Luke chapter 15. It's at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You can turn there, chapter 15. If you have a Bible with you today, there's some Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. Um, there is, obviously, if you have a device with that on there, turn there, however you have it, to Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 11 through 24. As I said before, reconciliation is at the core of the gospel. And God's grace is the driving force behind it. Cool. We, we, don't, we don't earn God's grace, we don't deserve God's grace, yet he gives it to us freely. Yet Jesus died on the cross while we were sinners. Come on. At the core of the gospel is restoration. And it's all because of God's grace. Come on. Anybody been saved by God's grace this morning? Come on. We sing about it. We, we talk about it. But do we live in God's grace? Grace allows us to grow in our relationships. Come on. We like to be given grace. Y'all will shout about it, you'll raise your hands about it, you'll sing it. We like to be given grace. And even in situations in life, in your various relationships or, or just in, in different uh, situations, we like to be given grace. But how often do we give grace? We like to be given grace, but how often do we give and extend grace? Grace allows us to grow in our relationships. No matter what gets said, no matter what happens, no matter what you did or they did or however it plays out, grace allows us to grow in our relationships. The opposite of grace is pride. And that's the slip this week. That's the relationship this, the relationship slip this week is, is pride, it's, it's selfishness, right? It's not acting in that grace. It's not showing that grace in our, our communication, in our interactions with people around us. The reason why many relationships are broken and they stay broken is because there's no willingness to show grace. There's no willingness to change. There's no willingness, uh, willingness to work out. 
There's the willingness to communicate, right? There's the, uh, we, we'd rather be offended. We'd rather stay offended. Oh, they, they did something, so that's my right to be offended, right? I said what I said. You know? I, I'm not saying sorry. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not saying sorry. In fact, I'm waiting for you to say sorry first. You hear how childish that sounds? It's pride. It's pride. It's selfishness. And that's not how we grow in our relationship. Even, especially when the relationship is broken. But, you ready? As we reflect on and rejoice in and live in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're able to let go of pride. We're able to drop down our defenses. That's what happens when we give our life to Christ and we begin this relationship with Him. We are empty of those things and it allows us to not only receive grace, but to live in grace and extend it to other people. We can let go of self-righteousness and honestly examine ourselves and find freedom from guilt and sin by admitting our wrongs. You turn to Luke, hopefully you found it by now. Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11, is a parable of, of Jesus, right? I, I love how Jesus communicates. He oftentimes will share uh, what's called a parable. It's a story in, in which Jesus uses to uh, illustrate a truth, okay? Uh, so, so if you don't like how the pastor shares a bunch of stories, right, uh, you need to go read what Jesus did, okay? But he shares these stories oftentimes to, to relate to people. He'll share cultural, uh, contextual things in, 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 in those stories that will help relate to people so they will better understand God's truth for their life. And not so that they just understand it, but so that they do it. Because God's word is not meant for us just to know in our head. It's meant to transfer down to our hearts so that we live it out and we apply it to our life. Knowledge is only good when we use it. So here Jesus shares a parable that we know as the parable of the prodigal son. One of my favorite parables. Because guess what? I was a prodigal. Yeah, guess what? Many of you in this room, all of us, if we're real prodigals, we were prodigal. We were lost, but now we're found. Amen? And, and I love this prodigal because I can relate so well. But read together with me Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Anybody can relate to that this morning? Whether that was you or whether you're a parent and you have some children that maybe have lived this way. Wild living. Dad, I'm going to pack up. I'm going to go on a road trip. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go live. Now I need to get some experience in this. I'm gonna go live a little. And, and who knows what he did? What's considered wild living? Maybe he stopped off in Vegas and, and, and spent it all on the slot machines and the blackjack table. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe you know. Maybe he went and just bought this this car and and, and, and just and just went wild. Mom says he, he went off into wild living. And not long after that. The younger son got together all he had for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. There was no more Taco Bell. 
There was no more pizza, right? No more ramen where our college students at. Come on, no more ramen, like no more, no more on-campus food. It was, it was all gone, okay? God, it was a famine. And he found himself, he found himself in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his what? His senses. You may have another version that says something similar, but and he came to his senses. He had a, a moment where he realized what had happened. He came to his senses. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I had it good. I had it good. So I'll set out. And go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a God of restoration. You have restored many of our lives in here in this room. There are many of us that were that prodigal at one time in our life that we, we ran off. We ran far away to do our, our own thing, but God, you, you have called us home, you have called us back, and you have received us just as this father had received his son. And you have shown us your amazing grace. God, I pray that we not only learn to receive grace, but we learn to give grace. That God, when we come into our various relationships, or when we even come into a moment where we lose our way, God, that we would understand Look, there's things, there's a process, there's steps that we can take to build back better, to grow, to, to get better, God, to restore our relationship with you and with other people. We don't have to live in brokenness. We don't have to live in, in broken relationships or, or away from you, God. So, God, help us. Help us to understand that grace, but also to live in it today. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen. Amen. What do you do when your relationships are broken? What do you do when you find yourself uh, in, in, in a situation with friends, a co-worker, a family member, your spouse, when things are not right? When there's, there, there's, there's tension, when there's a, a gap, when there's, there's brokenness, when, when things aren't right between you and someone. What do you do when things aren't right between you and God? Today, I want to help you understand that very practical, right? I want to help you understand how to build back better. How to, how to, how to build your relationship back better. How, how, how to get uh, that relationship back with God. So let's look at four things today to build back better. And they can be applied to all of your relationships. Friends, uh, co-workers, neighbors, families, spouses, your relationship with God. These are all things that can apply in those various relationships. The first thing is this. We need to learn how to self-examine. The importance of, of examining ourselves and searching ourselves. Our transformation begins with inward examination. Right? Those house restoration shows, they all begin with kind of 
kind of assessing, all right, where are the biggest needs? We got a roof that needs some attention here, right? We got some plumbing issues going on. There's some leaks going on. It's damaged the floor. We're going to have to take up the, where do we want to, where do we want to put the most out of our budget in this? Do we want to sacrifice one area? Uh, maybe it's flooring, maybe it's cabinets. Like what, 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 where, where do we need to work on what, what, what's bleeding the most, so to speak, right? And where do we need to assess where we want to start, how we want to fix this up to make it right? We need to do that in our own life, whether it's in our relationships with people, our relationship with God. We need to do some self-examination, right? Uh, verse 17 that we just read in this parable says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. He's taking a moment, he's come to his senses, he's realized, All right, where did I go wrong? I had it, but I needed it back here with with my dad, even my servants had more than enough, and, and here I am, without where did I, where did I go wrong? He's having this moment of reflection and self-examination. We don't like to do self-examination. What we often like to do, examine the wrong in other people. Right? We, we, we love to look at the wrong and the faults in other people, but not so much in ourselves. Well, <laughs> At least I'm not as bad as those people, right? At least I didn't do this, you know. Okay? It, it, you know, it's, it's not my fault. Come on, somebody. Don't get quiet on me this morning. It's not, it's not, it's not my fault. Hey, I wouldn't be in this mess if it weren't for blah, blah. You know anybody that always plays the victim, right? Maybe that's you this morning. But we love, we love to point out the flaws and put the blame and, and transfer the blame onto others. How much self-examination are we doing? We like to look at the plank in other people's eye, but we often don't deal with the battle within us. One of the biggest areas we need to examine ourselves is in our tongues. We oftentimes use our words as weapons. Oftentimes we get in the heat of an argument and in a moment we get in a moment of selfishness and pride and think, oh, oh, you, oh, I'm, I'm going to defend myself, right? And there are times when we need to defend the right things the right way. But so many times we get caught up in the heat of a, an argument or in the heat of the moment and when we get that upset and we, when we get caught up in those moments, oftentimes we say things that we don't really mean. Or sometimes we do say things that we really mean. They've just been bottled up for a long time. And we will use our words as weapons. James chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, and then verse 8 says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. One small little fatty part of your body corrupts the whole body. That's the whole course of one's life on fire. Anybody in your mouth has gotten you in trouble before? Come on. Huh? No human being can tame the tongue to restless evil full of deadly poison. We can use our words as weapon, and, and it can be like a fire. Come on. Uh, we got a lot of guys in here that like to grill out. You know, you stack up your coals and you, you, you light that bad boy up, right? I don't know how you do. I, I douse that thing and all kind of lighter fluid, man. I don't hold back. I'm very generous with it. 
But at some point, as those, that fire dies down, you're going to what? You're going to spread those coals out. And when you do that, what happens? The fire stirs back up, right? Our words can do the same thing. Come on. I know we got a bunch of bonfire people. It is Turkey Creek. You know, they all know you'll have some bonfires in your day. Come on. And you know when the fire dies down, and you can stir it back. Come on, a bunch of fire bugs in the room. Come on. And, you know, you stir that up a little bit, and it's going to fire. And that's what happens when we use our words as weapons. It's going gonna, it's gonna to stir up fire in the wrong time. Listen, I want the fire of God in me, right? I, I don't want to use my tongue as, as a fire for evil, right? But we can do that when we use our words as weapons. So here's how we do that. Sometimes with our reckless words, words that are spoken hastily or without thinking. You don't think about it, it's just like, and you just throw it up and it, it just comes out. You weren't thinking about it, you just you get caught up in, in the moment. Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings what? Healing. Are we bringing healing with our words? Are we bringing grace with our words? Although we may not deliberately set out to hurt others with our words, sometimes we don't make much effort to not hurt others with our words. We just simply say whatever comes to our mind. So you need a filter. That best filter is the Holy Spirit. I've seen some posts out lately that talk about Holy Spirit isn't just for speaking in tongues. Sometimes it's to keep your tongue quiet. Right? But many of us, we don't have, we lack that filter. And sometimes we just say whatever's on. You don't always have to say what's in your mind. In fact, it's best to not say everything that's on your mind. If you've got a problem saying that, why don't you pray and talk to God. Let Him hear about it and deal with you. Sometimes it's just best to be quiet until we can think straight and think better. Because you get, you get all worked up and, and, and you're all amped up and you guys, whoever it is, maybe it's your friend or, or maybe, maybe it's not just our, our vocal words, but maybe we're typing the words. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you're on, there on, on, on social media and you're getting into it with, with someone on there, which never works, by the way. It's just going to be circular. Nobody, nobody ever wins anything. By, by doing all that on social media, right? Nobody wins. In fact, everybody loses, okay? But sometimes we, we feel like we've got to say, well, in the heat of a moment, uh, years ago at a job I worked, uh, I was unloading a truck, and I was on the forklift, I was unloading this truck, and, and sometimes, and, and I know, I'm not a truck driver, so I don't know, but sometimes they would turn the pallet sideways in order to get as many things, in. and that was so frustrating because it's harder to get the fork lift up under that. So you have to kind of finagle it, you gotta get the edge of it, and then kind of drag it a little bit, and then kind of, if you if you got really good at it, you can twist it. Right? So as I'm trying to unload the truck, my manager comes out, and he's like, well, what are you doing? Why are you doing it like that? And, and it was just his own. That was like, huh? What, what did you say? And I got triggered in that moment, right? I got, I got triggered, and, and, and so, so already my defense is my, my life is up. What did you say to me? I'm working, I'm working for you, pal. Like, and then, and then he tips it over the top and says, "Why don't you get off and let me do it?" So that set me off, right? And, and, and I wasn't very spiritual in that moment. Let's be honest, I wasn't very spiritual in that moment. In fact, I was not thinking of Jesus whatsoever. 
in this moment. I was not thinking, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. None of that was going on. In fact, I, I distinctly remember seeing just red and going just like completely like stopped up in my head. I believe there was a spiritual there. I think the Holy Spirit was cut off right there in that moment. And I just said, you know, blah, 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 me, and blah, 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 and I'll just go home. Well, you can just go home, right? That's fine. I will come back. And it's just it's a bit back and forth. I think. Because in the heat of the moment, I wasn't thinking straight. I was thinking about myself. And it stopped. I stopped and think about what, what God wanted me to do in this moment. I mean, it must do that. We don't, we don't stop. And we, don't, we don't think at all. We just... Feed into whatever that comes on, whether that's anger, whether that's some kind of, uh, you know, feel like we got to justify things. we got to learn how to stop in the middle of that moment. Another way we use our words as weapons is in grumbling and complaining. Grumbling and complaining. It may not be a good thing for your kids to hear you grumble and complain about your spouse. Amen. Okay? It may not be a good thing because then they're going to now see whether that's the dad or the mom. They're going to see them in their life. They're going to think that that's how they really are. It may not be good that you complain about your spouse to your parents and other family members either. Because now they're going to see them in a particular way as well. Work that stuff out. This is what I do. Complaining quenches the Holy Spirit. It's hard, to, it's hard to stop and be real spiritual in a moment when you're complaining. It's hard to complain about somebody, but then, and then in another instance, you pray for that person. Right? This is another way that we use our words as weapons in complaining and grumbling. But a focus on grace, it changes our perspective. Right? It changes how we see that person. It changes how we respond. And you might get frustrated. I understand that. How are you dealing with that frustration? How are you working that out? Another way we use our words as weapons is with gossip and slander. If you've been here for any amount of time, you understand, you know how I feel about this particular topic. Nothing will separate and divide a church more than this uh, area in gossip and slander. And we, we don't do that around here. Okay? But maybe in your relationships, maybe, maybe you've experienced this, maybe you've been a victim of this, or maybe you yourself have caught up in gossip. And it's easy to do. You're at the, at the break room, and you're, you're eating your lunch, and they're, they're talking about so-and-so, and it's easy to get caught up in that trap. It's easy to get up on, on Facebook, Facebook and social media and different things. It's easy to get caught up in those long threads of, of stuff, and it's, it, you, you just get sucked in so easily, right? But these are ways that we use our words as well. It reminds me of the story of uh, four preachers. They're out together and they're kind of having a moment of confession with each other. Just kind of saying, hey, you know, I'm kind of struggling, I'm kind of dealing with some things right now. And, and, and one of the preachers comes out and says, hey, listen, sometimes when I'm by myself, I catch myself watching things that I probably shouldn't. Right? Second preacher pipes in, he's like, well, you know, sometimes I find myself stopping by the casino playing some of the slot machines and gambling. Third preacher says, well, you know, to take the edge off, sometimes I like to smoke cigars or, or cigarettes. And the fourth preacher chimes in and says, hey, listen, uh, my issue is gossip, so I can't wait to get out of here. Uh, <laughs> gossip. 
Joseph, man, Joseph will tear down a relationship. Slam it. Talk about people behind their back. These things, it, will, it breaks down trust. If someone has confided in you not to tell other uh, people their business, but you do it anyway, that will tear down trust and break down a relationship so fast. And it will leave people hurt and let down. It's a relationship. Proverbs 16.20 says, A perverse person stirs up conflict. When we talk about perverse things, you oftentimes don't think about words or, or, or conversations or slander, things like that. We think of like extreme things. But a perverse person stirs up conflict. And a gossip separates close friends. It's a relation slip. Here's a few other areas that we should examine ourselves during conflict. Number one, breaking our word. God expects us to keep our word. Our commitments, if we say we're going to show up, we should show up. Because that, again, will break a relationship. Whether that's your kids, you say, yeah, I'll be there at the game, and then you don't show up, and those are things they're going to remember for a long time. You said you were going to do this, but you didn't do it, or, or commit, or you took marriage vows so long ago, and you said before God and everybody that I commit to this relationship, that I'm going to be faithful, that I'm going to stick this thing out through thick and thin, Till when? Death do us part. Oh, God expects us to keep our God expects us to keep our word with Him as well. We're not on the job. What about when we have a failure to respect authority? Many of us we want to tell our, our job, our, our boss, to take this job at each other, right? Ain't working here anymore. Yeah. We've thought about that conversation a time or two, right? But when we fail to respect that authority, that's not loving like Jesus. And I'm not saying don't defend yourself when the, the, the right occasion comes. We're called to respect those in authority over us, whether it's in church, government, family, workplace, wherever that is. And, and then there's this other side of this when leaders misuse their authority. They're going to be held accountable for that to God as well. God calls us to respect positions of authority, even when their personalities leave much to be desired. Even when they're in the wrong, even when we disagree, we're called to respect those in, in authority. What about with your neighbors? Or, or, or even just driving in traffic, or just being around people in general? You ever forgot the golden rule? You know that rule that we... Being into our kids, you better treat others as you, the way you want to be treated. Yet, oftentimes, we so easily forget that. Someone cuts you off in traffic, you got, I got to speed up. I don't want to tell them what I feel about that. Right? You got a neighbor, their dog keeps pooping in your yard, and you're just tired of it, and you stepped in it, right? How many of you guys can relax a little bit? I know I said pooping shirt, it's okay. These are real life things. These happen. This stuff happens, right? So, 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 so what about that golden rule? Here's some good questions to ask, right? But I want someone else to treat me the way I've been treating this person. That's your boss, your coworker, friends, family, right? Again, we teach our kids to do it, but we so easily forget it. How would I feel if I found out people were saying about me what I've said about them? Right? 
If our positions were reversed, how would I feel if they did what I've done? If someone broke a contract for the same reason I'm using, I feel that's right. If I was an employee, how would I feel if I was treated the way I treated them? If I owned a business, what would I want my employees to behave the way that I'm behaving? Sometimes we got to take the advice of the great theologian that Elijah and stop collaborating and listen. Sometimes we got to learn to stop and listen and, and think things through. So, so we so quickly will dive into an argument. We'll so quickly get heated. We'll so quickly get triggered. But we've got to learn how to, to stop. Listen, we are good at hearing what we want, but not so good at actually listening. And when I say listening, I mean seeking to understand that other person's perspective, where they're coming from, walking in their shoes, showing grace, hearing someone out. Grace gains understanding. Grace says, listen, I'm not going to get upset. I'm going to hear this person out, and then we're going to work it out from there. Grace gains understanding. To build your relationships back better, um, we need to learn how to self-examine. And the second thing we need to do is repent. Repent. If you want to see different results in your life, you've got to do something different. You've got to do something different. Maybe we need to take some, some notes from another great theologian, Michael Jackson, and look at the man in the mirror. I want to make the world a better place, but look at something that they can change. I see you vibing over there, Moses. I see you. While silly, it's true. We've got to make the change. We've got to make those necessary changes in our life and, and, and repent. Okay, let's look at scripture, okay? We'll get back, we'll get back on track here. Verse 18, I will set out, this is the, the prodigal son, I will set out and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned, check this out, two things right here, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He has a moment where he knows, I didn't just sin and make things wrong with my father, I've sinned against my heavenly father. So he's not only wanting to make things right with his relationship here on earth, but he's wanting to make things right with God at the same time. He came to a place where he said, I don't want to stay stuck anymore. I'm hanging out here with the pigs, and I can't even eat what they got. The pigs have more than I do. I don't want to be in this anymore. The Bible says he came to his senses. He didn't want to live like that anymore. He knew something needed to change. And for so many of us, maybe you're watching this today, and this is you, or you're in the room. For so many of us, we stay stuck right there. It's like, I want to make a change, but then we never do. We feel it inside, we feel the tension, we feel the, 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 the issues that we're having right now, but then we never we stop right there. We have to come to a place of repentance, and repentance is more than a feeling. You might have remorse in a situation, which is good, because there's some people that don't have remorse, and that's bad. That's saying there is no moral compass, or that moral compass is broken, or, or if you're a Christian and there's no Holy Spirit active right there in that moment, and so if there's no remorse, that's bad. But many of us, we just stop at, I feel sorry for what's happened. I feel sorry for what's happened. But repentance is an action. It's more than just feeling that. It's, a, it's an action. It doesn't mean we simply feel sad or uncomfortable. It's not just a mere apology, but to repent literally means to change the way we think. It's a change. It's a shift. It's not going the same way. It's like you're on the interstate and you're driving south, but you come to your senses and a realization, I'm going the wrong way. 
I need to go north. And it's more than just thinking about, should I get off? Should I change lanes? No, it's saying, I've got to do everything to get over. Where's my next exit? Because I've got to get off this direction, and I've got to get back on the right path to get home. That's the thinking. It's a change. It's doing it. It's making a complete 180. And it's not just a feeling. It's an action. It's something described as coming to our senses. 2 Timothy 2, 25-26. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. It involves waking up to the fact that we've been deceiving ourselves and that our attitudes, our ideas, and our values and goals, they have been wrong. It, it, it will cause you to admit, hey, I've been wrong. And many of us don't like to say that. We don't even like to think that. I, I was wrong. Right? Come on. It involves waking coming to your senses. I, I've been I've been wrong. I've been doing this wrong. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance. That leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. What is worldly sorrow? It means you feel sorry because you got caught doing something wrong. And not, so, not just sorry that you got caught, but sorry that now you're going to have to live with the consequences, whatever they may be. And then it, it takes a step further. Worldly sorry would suggest that, okay, I, I got caught, I got in trouble, so now how can I keep doing this where I don't get in trouble anymore? That, that's worldly sorry. You felt sorry for getting caught and, and for having to deal with the consequences. In contrast, godly sorrow means feeling bad because you've offended not only the person or people, but you've offended God. And it means sincerely regretting the fact that what you did was not just wrong, it was more than wrong. It was against God. And regardless of whether you've got to suffer those unpleasant consequences or not, you're not going to do it anymore. I've come in contact with people who are trying to get their life right, they're trying to, you know, they've messed up, they've done something, so they're trying to take uh, the next steps in, 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 in fixing things, but yet they still have to live with those consequences, and they don't understand. They're like, well, I'm trying to do right, I'm trying to do this Jesus thing, I'm trying to pray, I'm trying to make the right decisions, but why am I still having to live with those consequences? Because that's, that's what happens when you mess up, Right? Repentance involves a change of heart, which is only possible when you understand that as a personal offense against God. We're not just sinning against people when, we, when we're causing issues and, and conflict and things like that, but we sin against God. We're not willing to show grace. To build back better, it takes self-examination, it takes repentance, and it takes confession. Confessing your wrongs will help make things right. It takes confession. Uh, back to the prodigal son. Verse 18, I will send out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants, the son said to him. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to call your son. There's this, this confession, there's this admittance, hey, I messed up. What can I do to build back better? What can I do now to make things right? 
So I want to share just something really practical for you this morning. Seven days of confession. I'm not talking about confession because I know we probably think a certain way when we mention that word confession because of certain denominations and religions and what they believe. Uh, first and foremost, we confess our sin to God. And that's where the ultimate forgiveness comes from. But sometimes we need to make things right with uh, our relationships. And so we have to admit when we've messed up. Right? And so that's what I mean when I say the word confession. So I want to share with you seven A's of, of confession. The first is address everyone involved. Everyone involved, whether it's people or God or both. Address everyone and make it right. We work to, to make a change, to repent, and make it right. The next would be avoid the words if, but, and maybe. When we use these type of words, when we are confessing to someone, hey, I messed up, when we use those type of words, if, but, or maybe, we cheapen this confession. It's not really a confession at all. You're just trying to make yourself feel better, okay? Examples, right? Examples. Perhaps I was wrong, okay? No, just own it. I'm, hey, I screwed up. I, I was wrong, okay? My bad, right? I'm sorry if I've done something to upset you, right? No, no, no. Hey, listen, I'm sorry. I did upset you, right? I, I, I clearly, I can see it all over you. <laughs> I did something, so I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe I could have tried harder. You see how just like, no, you, you need to try harder. Own it, own that mistake. Possibly I should have waited to hear your side of the story. I guess I was wrong. Oh, you were wrong. Admit it, own it. I shouldn't have lost my temper. This is what we do when we use the word but. I shouldn't have lost my temper, but I, I was tired. So then we try to justify what happened. Listen, I was just tired. I'm sorry. No, just, just own it. You shouldn't have said that, regardless. I'm sorry for your feelings, but you really upset me. So I'm justified in the things that I said. I should have kept my mouth closed, but hey, she asked for it. <laughs> I know I was wrong, but hey, so are you. Right? We try to justify that these, this is not grace. This is not building back better. This is making things worse. This is making things bitter, not better. The next A for confession would be to admit specifically. Again, own it. What did you do wrong? Spill it out there. I did it. Be specific. I did it. Whether you meant to or not, it is what it is. I did it, and I truly am sorry, and I want to make things better. Critical, uh, my critical comments have not only hurt you, but I, I know that's not the way God created me to respond. Because you're not just sinning against people. We're sinning against God, and we don't act in the way that you think we should, or the way that he instructs us in his word. Right? The next one is acknowledge hurt. If you want someone to respond positively to a confession, make it a point to acknowledge and express sorrow for how you hurt or affected that person. Right? Acknowledge that. Hey, listen, I, you, know, you must have been really embarrassed when I said that thing, and I, I recognize that, and I'm really sorry for that. I can see you're frustrated, and I can see why you're frustrated. I, I get it. I understand. Right? Next one is Accept the consequences, whatever they do. Listen, everybody may not forgive you. We can't control what other people do, but you can control how you respond in these moments. So whatever it is, accept those consequences. The prodigal son, he demonstrated this principle. After he acknowledged he had sinned against God and his father, he said, listen, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Whether you do 
that or not, I get that. I understand that. Make me like one of your hired men. The next one is alter your behavior. You, you've seen you messed up. You're trying to make it right. Now we need to do something about it. Alter your behavior. And then ask for forgiveness. And you might have to allow time for this. Because some of you may not be ready. So for you, depending on what it was. They may not be ready to be. And you need to allow time and again show grace in this moment. Worship team, you guys can come on up. To build back better in our relationships, if they're broken, we got to take some, self, some time for self-examination, repentance, confession, and the fourth thing, the last thing this morning is personal change. When things change inside of us, things will change around you. Right? We've been talking a little bit about this last restoration show. If you ever move into a new home, and, and, and let's say that that, that was an old home for somebody, and the old owners, they didn't take really good care of it. They left it dirty, dishes piled up, the floor even needs to be replaced, or vacuumed really good, maybe steam cleaned, I don't know. The landscaping has gotten out of control, there's weeds everywhere, you can't really tell what's a plant, what's a weed, you know. There's a car buried under the grass somewhere out there, you know. Whole place needs to be painted, fresh coat of paint, the, 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 the railing outside going on the steps is broken, holes in the wall, roofs leaking, and you may come in and, 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 and the, the, the old owner may have been that way, maybe they weren't clean, and, and, and maybe they didn't take care of things, but you come in and you're the new owner, and you are clean, and so you come in and you start to make some changes, right, you start to clean things up, you, you paint, you vacuum, Right? You fix up the yard and, and mow it. Right? You do all, all these things. You fix what's broken. And now it takes on a whole new appearance. Right? We've seen this in these uh, house-looking shows. But the grass cut, the dishes are clean, carpet's back on the fresh paint. Why? Because a new person has moved into an old house. Before you met Christ, the old person was living in that house called your body. But now Jesus has moved in. Same body, but a new resident. And that new resident, Jesus, he's holy. He's pure. He's clean. He is righteous. So even though he's living in that old house, he came and he can make it look good. He can clean it up. He can paint it up. He can fix it up. Not because your bodily house has changed, but because somebody new is living in it. So listen, don't keep Jesus from fixing that up. Don't keep and hold Jesus back from the work that he wants to do in your life. From the restoration that he wants to do in your life. Because of some sin that's there. Because of the direction you were going. Don't hold back. Don't, uh, don't get in the way of what God wants to do inside of you. Come on. You can change. You can change. But we need the work of God to change those attitudes and those behaviors to allow us to grow in it's his grace that empowers us to grow. We're growing to be more like Jesus. That old way of life, that old way of thinking, the old is gone in the new. Come on, anybody been made new in Jesus? Come on, you might as well say something this morning. It is because of his grace. And God is eager to help us grow and change. There's no sin or habit in your life that we cannot overcome because of his grace. Luke 6, 35-38. He says, But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect them 
nothing in return, your reward will be great. And you'll be sons in the most high. For he himself is kind, ungrateful, and evil men. That's his grace. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Don't judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. I've heard this used a lot in giving stories. When, when, when they're trying to, to get you to give in the offering, I've heard this used a lot. But in context, it's talking about God's grace. It might work because it's a matter of reaping and sowing. It might work with giving. We should give. We should be generous. But it's talking about God's grace. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour in your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. It's talking about God's grace. It's talking about forgiving others. It's talking about not judging others. Loving your enemy. Living to those without expecting return. It's talking about God's grace. And it's by His grace that we are saved. And it's by His grace that we can be the people He's calling us to be. Especially in our relationship. Grace allows us to grow. It empowers us grow. Hey, thanks for tuning in this week. If you'd like more info about our church, if you'd like to make a donation to our ministry here at Transforming Life, go to www.tlchurchpc.com. If you haven't been to our church yet, we would love to meet you. Come by for a life-changing experience. God bless.